now it's time for On the Couch with our resident psychologist Jane Enter, exploring life and caring for our mental and spiritual well-being on Bay FM 99.9. Welcome to our regular On the Couch segment with resident psychologist Jane Enter, based at First Light Healthcare, Byron Bay. You may recall our recent episode on death and dying, in particular the fear of death. Today we delve into the varied human experiences of grief and loss, something each and every one of us will confront at some point in our lives. So why not talk about it? And who better to do that with than the wonderful Jane Enter. Welcome again, Jane. Thanks, Fern. Thanks again for having me back. Look, just in case there is anyone listening who hasn't experienced grief and loss, what are they? Grief and loss is a response to losing something or someone that you're attached to and that has a place in your life that gives you meaning and purpose and is a kind of central point. It can be a job, can be all sorts of things, can be a person. But you miss that from your life when it's gone. Grief is a natural response to loss. What role does it serve in us humans, Jane? Why do we need to grieve after a major loss? Because we're profoundly changed by a loss and we need to acknowledge that and to allow it to work its way through us. Otherwise it can become stuck and it doesn't get um, moved through us. It's not that you, by the way, get over things or don't forget them, but it's just that you're more able to move through your life. If you don't deal with it, it waits for you and makes you deal with it later. And it can come out in all sorts of ways, self-destructive behaviours, drinking too much, irritability, anger, sabotaging relationships, doing things that are out of character because you're not acknowledging the profound change and effect that this loss has had on you. Mm. And that's a process, of course, and takes time, and we'll get into that. But how much is it related to fear of dying, I'm wondering? Because I I understand most non-mammal animals just get on with it as a, a natural part of life and don't get stuck on it like us humans can. Look, I don't know if we know enough about animal behaviour yet. For, I know you've said non-mammals, but I just want to talk briefly about a mammal called the elephant. Elephants have graveyards and they come back regularly and they put their trunks and they tusk and they huddle together and they grieve as a herd and they mourn. And you can see elephants mourning. They're sort of pictorial evidence of them weeping and going over that gravesite. Do we know enough about animals in general to really know how they feel? I don't think we do. So I can't really comment on that. But I can say that 
We grieve because we've loved someone or we've lost something important. Is it to do with fear of dying? I think that one is more to do with fear of being alone and fear of not being able to go on because you miss that thing so much or that person so much in your life mm. that your life is less because of their absence or because of your job's absence. That sort of thing. I've seen some of those videos of elephants grieving, and it's it's incredible. It really is, and and other anim, and other animals as well. The death of a loved one for for us humans, depending on our closeness uh, to them, of course, is probably the biggest grief-inducing thing that can happen to us. Uh, you told us in that recent episode about losing your daughter, Jane. We actually decided to bring this episode forward because of uh, that recent tragic incident in our region where two beautiful four-year-old twins died from smoke inhalation while asleep. Uh, we don't need to go to any of the details uh, of that, but how utterly devastating for the parents and family. Just talk about how devastating it is to lose a child. Look, I'd, I don't want to talk about their experience because obviously I have no knowledge of what they're going through personally. I can only say that losing a child is the greatest loss. They've lost two. It is a club that no one wants to belong to losing a child. It is the most profound loss because it's not only the loss of of those beings that you absolutely love and would give your life for. It's the loss of the future life you imagined with them. It's the loss of seeing those people that you love, those children grow up and hit milestones and see what life they're going to have. It's all of that that gets lost. There is a hole in people's hearts who lose children that only the shape of that child will ever fit. Nothing can fill that. We are a small community here on the North Coast and so many people know them. There's been a kind of collective sorrow over this tragic event and an enormous outpouring of love and support. Talk to that if you would. I think there isn't a human being that can't relate to the profound, devastating loss of a child. It is what every parent fears, that something will happen to their most beloved. And the community is collectively touched because it's their fear. It's their fear being lived out. They cannot imagine how one can go on. They are shocked and horrified and every empathic part of them is leaning towards the family because they know deep down in every cell of and fiber of their being that this kind of loss literally lays you to waste. So I think everyone is feeling the trauma and horror because they can't imagine what it would be like and it is their most profound fear. At the end of the day, of course, it is the parents who are feeling the greatest pain from this, but we're all feeling a bit of it, aren't we? Can that collective sorrow 
an outpouring of love actually help the parents through this most difficult of times? I think it's always a positive thing for someone going through something of epic, tragic proportions to know that others are with them in spirit, thought and heart. But what generally happens is that there's a surge of this support and love at the beginning of the tragedy. But the tragedy for parents who lose a child is ongoing, a perpetual sorrow and lifelong. And often it is after when the ceremonies and rituals have been completed that the vague of of how life is going to look and the empty vastness of it looms. That's when the community, I think, is most needed. When that part of, you know, saying goodbye in some level has happened and now there is the ongoing reality of the loss. That's when they're at their most needed, Mm -hmm. to step up and step towards the family. When this part has gone... It is early stages and we want to absolutely respect the family's right to privacy and right to grief. Uh, But what is the typical process and different stages of grieving in tragic instances such as this? I think the brain sort of bathes you in hormones and allows you to look at the world through about six sheets of glass. You're in the world but somehow you're looking at it because you're in shock. You're in shock because this reality is not one you anticipated. It's not one you you ever thought would be yours. And so you have a stepped back, sort of distant view of the world where you're in it, but you're not in it. And it lasts for, you know, quite a number of months and it gets you through you know, the things that have to be done when when a child dies. And then slowly you start to see this as the new reality. And you wake up and there's, you know, this lovely phrase, the lead suit of the obesity of grief, where you wake up and you're just so heavy with it that you feel like overnight you gained 40 kilos. Everything is an effort. You cannot imagine your meaning and purpose and how you will ever possibly go on and put one foot in front of another. And for a couple of years, you are sort of working out, actually, this did happen. It is true. It is my new world. It is the current reality. It's not going to change. You have moments where you think, oh, maybe maybe I heard their voice or... You look for signs to give you meaning, to let you know somehow that they're still with you and around you. And after a while, the relationship changes and you have a relationship with grief where it walks alongside you but doesn't totally overcome you. And you transform, I think, it into a relationship where the persons or persons are still with you, it's just not in human form. And so the relationship continues, but the presence of their being in your physical life does not. 
But that's a long process over time. Mm. And I imagine, uh, Jane, guilt will be present for a very long time as well. Every parent who loses a child, no matter what the circumstances, myself included, you think, I'm the parent. I should have kept them alive. I should have, you know, for my child it was cancer. I had all these thoughts of, if only I'd done things differently, if only we had done that, if only this had happened. Because as a parent, your sort of role is to keep your child alive. So when you can't do that, you are absolutely riddled with guilt and what ifs. What if I had done that? And what if I had done this? And that is common to every parent, no matter the circumstances of their child's death. What about the process for others around a tragedy such as this, the onlookers, some of whom could have been other children, emergency workers and so on? Look, you know, every emergency worker I've ever worked with, it's the death of children that just tears them up the most. Mm -hmm. They find that so hard because they relate. This could have been my child. This could have been me. So it profoundly touches emergency workers. For other children, often it's their first idea that the person that they saw isn't coming back that there is an impermanence to life and a permanency to people leaving. And so it affects people in all sorts of ways. And one has to be acutely aware that even if you think someone is okay, check in. Say, hey, how are you? How are you feeling? Are you all right? And to talk about it and to discuss it and to not have it as a subject we don't talk about, but a subject that we can explore and express feelings around because I think that is a much healthier approach than avoidance. Mm. And what is the process uh, for them? Because they obviously also need a lot of support. Oh, for onlookers, it's to actually, I think, think about the value of your relationships. It's about thinking how precarious and fragile life is, how you can't predict anything, that regardless of what we think, that we have certainty, we actually don't. It's the time to hug your people close, to tell them that you love them, to express the value of people in your life to them, not in your head, to really recognize, honor, and acknowledge how important your relationships are and to hug people that are close to you very tightly to realize that, you know, you don't know how long any of us have got with each other. Talk a bit about the difference when the death happens suddenly and unexpectedly, such as in this case, compared to when loved ones know a person they treasure and love is going to die, as was the case with your daughter, Jane? Look, first of all, I'd like to say it doesn't matter what happens, it's awful. And I think there are things that are different in both. When it's a sudden death, you're in terrible shock because there literally is no warning, no preparation. Your life was one way and then in an instant it is another. You don't get a chance to say goodbye, 
to tell the persons, your children, how much you love them. You're just in shock. And small comforts come in that you, you try and say to yourself, at least they didn't suffer. You know, you try and find ways to somehow lessen it. I think when you have a child that is dying, say, of cancer or a terminal illness, you have a chance to, to be with them and treasure them, but you also see their suffering. So on the one hand, you get no preparation, and it's sudden and instant. And on the other hand, you get preparation, and it's a slow getting ready for the inevitable. Either one is shocking because even when you prepare for death, you never really expect it. There's always that smidgen of hope that says mm. maybe, maybe there'll be a miracle cure. And I think that um, the only comfort you have when you have a chance to say goodbye is you really have a chance to say the words to the child and show them how much you love them. But on the other hand, you know, with children who are taken suddenly, they felt your love and you've been with them. They just didn't know that this was going to happen and neither did you. We devoted a whole episode to depression recently, Jane. And incidentally, if you've missed it, you can go to the full playlist of our On the Couch series, which is on the Bay FM SoundCloud account. Grieving can appear similar to depression, but they are quite different, aren't they? Yes, with grief, there's a profound, significant event. You can tell exactly why. You feel very sad and very flat and joyless. With depression, it's this ongoing thing where often there isn't a specific thing that's still happening in your life. It's just this generalised feeling of flatness and heaviness. You've often made the point that us humans have the tendency to avoid pain and we do everything to ignore it and, and not to face it and work through it. What happens to us when we put our head in the sand, so to speak, uh, during or after a major loss and don't take the time to feel it and work through it? It comes back to bite you. You can have a delayed grief reaction you can find that you, you have no joy. As I said earlier, you're drinking more. You're withdrawing from the world. You um, aren't able to talk about the people or the thing that you've lost, that you've loved. You become very inner. Your life shrinks and becomes smaller. And you don't deal with it, hoping that somehow if you don't deal with it, it'll go away. It doesn't go away. It's waiting for you to deal with it, and it will keep representing itself for you to deal with. So if you can talk about it, reach out to people, feel your sorrow, allow it to surface. Think about tears as just love making its way down your face. Recognize grief is just that amount of love that you hold for the person that you've lost. Those are things that help get you through. Reaching out to people and letting them support you. They're essential to getting through this process intact. Another thing that you've mentioned many times, your Buddhist predisposition, how can having a spiritual belief system 
help us in this grieving process? I think it gives you a scaffold on which you can hang some of the tragedies and difficulties in your life, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Christianity, whatever it is. It's a way of creating meaning and purpose and making bearable the unbearable. So a spirit and a faith allows you to have a greater connection with a world that is bigger than your life, that is more connected than you are to the small things that that you think are important. It allows you somehow to see a bigger picture when you are in the midst of horror and, and feeling absolutely gutted. Time, of course, is the greatest healer, as they say, and as anyone who's been through a major loss and pain would know too well. What's your advice to anyone listening who's going through major grief right now? To feel it, if you can, to talk about it, to mention whatever the person's name is that you've lost, to keep them alive in a way that allows good memories and good feelings to be present in amongst the sad ones. If it's a job to talk about what you miss, to talk about the things you miss and feel have gone from your life and to acknowledge it and to to honour that space and to acknowledge it and to know that over time it will transform into something else because nothing stays the same. Not our thoughts on things, not our feelings on things. Over time we evolve and things become more in perspective. It's just getting through that time period. And take us through the process that you go through with people that come and see you who've had a major loss, Jane. First of all, I always let them know there are no rules because you cannot tell someone this is how to do grief. People do it in their own unique way. You need to support them to manage each day, to put one foot in front of the other till they get through. Over time, as they start to find a place for that grief, you work with them on ritual and on honoring the loss and working with them on What meaning and purpose can that person's loss now bring to the life they are living that helps shape it in a way that honors the person who is gone? How to make a meaning out of something that is so horrendous? And you help the person bear it. You give them education to let them know, hey, it's normal to be forgetful. It's normal to be... Irritable. It's normal to cry when you least expect it. It's normal to wake up some days and think I can do this and other days and think I can't. To give them a way of understanding the process they're going through so that they don't think they're alone, they don't think they're losing their mind and they know that they're going to be okay because they will be supported through the process. And you go with the person where they are at to lead them gently to a place where they can move through to get along with their life in whatever way their life is now going to take shape. And of course there's no defined time for anyone. 
No, there isn't. Some people move on more quickly, but it doesn't mean that the loss is less significant or that they aren't profoundly moved. It's just they do it that way. Other people take years. Other people never, ever move through it in a way that is going to be helpful. They, they remain stuck, and you have to be with them in their stuckness until such time as something shifts and you can move them to the place they need to go. But one thing's for sure, we are changed forever after a major loss, aren't we? Profoundly. Once you know the fragility of life and losing someone that you love so dearly, more than your own life, which is parents with children, you are forever changed. You cannot not be. It is a profound, life-changing event. And how can the rest of us help someone close to us who's going through a major loss in their lives right now, such as this family? Don't be afraid to show up. Don't be afraid to say, I am so sorry. Don't be afraid to say the names of the people that have been lost. Don't think for one minute that if you don't say the name, somehow it'll make it better because don't people will still be thinking about their child 40 years later. Talk about the child. Laugh with them about memories that you have that are happy with that child. Check in with them. Say, how are things today? What do you need? If you find they can't articulate what they need, look around. Do they need their house clean? Do they need a hug? Do they need to just sit next to you while they weep. Just show up and be present to that person and don't be frightened. You might say something that's not quite right, but you can always say, hey, I didn't quite express that. What I meant was, I feel so gutted. I'm here with you. Let them know you are willing to sit with them in their deepest, darkest moment and you're not going to run away. As always, great to hear your words of wisdom on a topic so close to your heart, Jane Enter. Thank you very much. Thank you, Fern.